This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them.
Good morning. Everybody find a seat, get a muffin. How's everybody doing? Quiet, right? So how was Thanksgiving? Good? We still on the tryptophan, you know, putting us to sleep? Or are we waking up, waking up any at all now? You guys are still asleep, I think. You guys know what tryptophan is, right? It's the chemical that's in turkey that makes you sleepy. Yeah, yeah. So I guess some of you still have that. Hey, welcome to Converge this morning. I'm Rick. I'm the uh, fourth or fifth string guy up here, so I don't know what I'm doing. So just bear with me a few minutes if you don't mind. Um, so like I said, welcome. And I just wanted to read a verse of thanksgiving and praise. I was reading this in my devos this morning. And it's kind of funny because pastor was talking about um, some things going on in heaven. And this is a song in heaven. It says, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So just something I just saw this morning. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. So I decided to share it with you guys. But anyhow, I'm up here to do announcements, not to preach, thank goodness, because I'm not good at that. But anyhow, uh, the first announcement today is concerning small groups. Uh, we have those on Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you guys need any information, text uh, HBC Converge to 81010. Next. Look, Tuesday, Thursday, small groups. Josh isn't here, so you can't see him. But uh, anyhow, yeah, just uh, text that uh, previous one. And next one, uh, Washington, D.C., what is that about? Who knows what that's about? <laughs> How about the trip to Washington, D.C.? Marianne, what do you think? <laughs> anyhow, that's a mission strip we're going to have up there. And that will be March 16th through the 20th of next year. Um, a lot of you guys will probably be on spring break, but that's why it's set up for this, so you guys can attend it. Um, so your deadline will be in mid-December to sign up for this one. Next, Christmas caroling. Uh, I know you guys can sing because I've heard you singing before. Uh, you don't want to hear me singing, but anyhow, great time, Christmas caroling. I know we went before and visited some um, fire stations and gave them food and stuff. Man, it was just awesome stuff, even though I can't sing. But uh, we had a great time doing it. Um, again, this is a weekend where a lot of you guys, a lot of the LU kids that are normally here aren't here. So it's a time for you guys to get to hang out with some folks you probably don't normally get to do and have a great time. Heritage Helps, a lot of you guys have been going to uh, Fort Pickett. Um, there's a QR code on here if you guys would like to attend that and uh, help. That would be awesome. And there's a bigger one there even still. So if you guys would like to go, that would be awesome, especially this time of year, to share the love of Christ with others. 
Um, I think that's all I've got. Mr. Justin's going to come up here and do some fun stuff with you guys. And uh, I'm going to give the mic over to him. All right. Welcome, welcome. We have the job of doing an icebreaker this morning. And I like to make things awkward. So first thing we're going to do is just give you a little preview. Everybody's going to have to stand up. Um, Pastor Jeff's preaching this morning, and he actually asked me if we can get everybody to move to the front. So I don't want you to do that yet, because first we're going to do our icebreaker. What we're going to do is called a this and that. This or that. This is my wife, Joy, here. She's going to help us up here. So this icebreaker involves everybody standing up, starting in the middle of this room, and we're going to ask you a question. It's either going to be a this or a that, and you're going to go to this side if the answer is you know, your answer, or this side if it's the other answer. So uh, depending on how much time we have, we, we've got a few questions, but what is important is that you guys get to know one another, and um, especially, you know, as... And, and we get to know you, too. We get to know some of your preferences and uh, some of the things that you like and some of the things you don't like. So why don't you come on up here? Let's just get started. So first thing we're going to do, if everybody could just put your coffee down and get in the center aisle. Everybody in the center aisle. Even the leaders. Let's all get into this. What's that? Yeah, and, th and this is... I mean, we just had Thanksgiving dinner, so everybody's got to move. All right. Can everybody hear me good? Good. All right. So first question that we're going with, if you, um, for Thanksgiving dinner, if you, if you like the turkey or the pie, I want you to come over here if you like the pie. If you can't live without the turkey, go over to Joy. So everybody on pie over here. Wow. Wow, this is pretty pretty good split. Pretty good split. Interesting. All right, next question. Speaking of pie, apple or pumpkin pie? Over here for pumpkin pie? Who's, who? Apple. Looks like Apple's the winner on that one. All right. Matt Warner likes the pumpkin pie. That's good. He's, a, he, he's one of each. Okay. All right. Next question. Football games or what do you have over there, Joy? Or Macy's Day Parade. Oh, wow. Okay, depends on who's playing. All right. What, it, what about the National Dog Show? Raise your hand. Anybody watch the National Dog Show? One. I know we did. <laughs> Two, three. All right, good. Next one. All right, shopping. Are you a Black Friday shopper or a Cyber Monday shopper? Online or? 
Neither, okay, neither. Holidays. Okay, good. Oh, okay. Christmas music. Christmas music. Are you a Christmas music just around the holidays or all year long? <laughs> we got an all year long here. Good. Yes. Yes. See, these are the true Christmas spirit over here. It's true Christmas spirit. Okay, next up, when you, when you meet, do you hang out with a few close friends, is that your preference, or a large group? You more comfortable with a large group or just a few close friends? Oh, that's interesting too. This is kind of like the, uh, the introvert or the extrovert. Look at this, wow, that's interesting. Look at that. Okay, another preference. Are you a beach person or a mountain person? Beach or mountains? That's pretty split. I think, I think most people that grew up in the mountains, they're beach people, and people that grew up on the beach are mountain people. It depends on where you live. You always like what's on the other side. All right, next one. Dog person or a cat person? Whoa. Why did you give me the cat one? What's up with that? Oh. Now, there, now this gentleman here... This gentleman here is a true man. What's your name? Nathan. Yes. Thanks for being honest, Nathan. Good job. All right, next question. Text or phone call? If, you're, if you prefer a text over here. To keep in touch, yep. Wow. I am very surprised. I didn't know there would be so many phone callers in the college crowd. That's great. That's really cool. All right, next one. Are you a listener or a talker? In the conversation, think about this. Do you listen more or do you talk more? I, I don't... I don't think they're completely honest on this one, Pastor Jeff. I think there's a lot more talkers than this, but good job on the listeners. All right, we've got three more. Um, pancakes or waffles? Yeah. Waffles over here. That's, that's pretty much split even. All right, when it comes to movies, is it drama or comedy? Comedy over here and a good drama over here. Who, who's excited for Hallmark holiday movies? <laughs> Man, look at this. Comedy, way, way more comedy. Wow. All right.
Would you rather, let's do the, uh, the Italian food or Mexican food? Mexican food or Italian? Mexican food over here. I think tacos is a clear winner. Everybody loves tacos. All right, let's do the uh, morning person or night owl. Okay. Yeah, and, and this is the last one. When it comes to Christmas, Christmas is coming up. Christmas tradition. Decorating gingerbread houses or baking Christmas cookies? All right. You have to pick one. Bake cookies. Cookies over here. Really? Wow. For real, nobody's into gingerbread house. That's, yeah, I guess, yeah. We got a few, we got a few gingerbreaders. That's good. Matt, Matt's in the gingerbread house category, and Rhonda is great. Good job, everybody. Yeah, thank you. So as I was saying when we started, if you could just grab your stuff and move up closer, Today's lesson is going to be interactive, so we want to, we just want to get you guys ready to answer some questions. So move on up, and um, all right, just move on up, and we'll get started. All right. Am I on? All right, well, good morning. Make your way up here near the front. There's a couple reasons for that. One is we're going to do some interaction this morning. The second reason is I'm deaf and I want to hear you. So. Uh, the icebreaker that we did in, in my DC this morning in the earlier hour was we had to introduce ourselves and then, and then tell which is our least favorite Thanksgiving food that was on the table this year. That's really hard when my wife cooked everything. <laughs> but uh, we had mushrooms and green bean casserole. If we never had those ever again, I'd be happy. They're just... Well, honestly, they're not my least favorite. I hate them. They're just nasty. Mushrooms are nasty. How many of you like mushrooms? Y'all are weird. Sweet potato casserole. And if you don't like sweet potato casserole, you need to have my wife's, because it's almost like dessert. It is chock full of uh, brown sugar cinnamon and walnuts on the top, no marshmallows. But man, that's good stuff. So, one thing I didn't get this year was pumpkin pie. Or uh, I should say blueberry pie. I love blueberry pie. Didn't have any blueberry pie. So, all right. Michigan, Ohio State. Michigan. Michigan. We finally won one. Yankees, Red Sox? Okay, if you said Yankees, the back door is right back there. Duke, Carolina. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I have some friends here today. A few Yankee fans as well. But. All right, we're going to look at Romans 12 today. 
all right? Um, I want to start by saying last week what Josh Velez brought was fantastic. And uh, I see a teacher in our, in our future here. Uh, the, the way he communicated, but the principles that he brought, I was sitting in the back and I'm going, oh, this is Romans 12, and I could just piggyback on what he brought last week of really determining not so much um, what God's will is, but living your life with purpose. And I think this is a great passage. I, before COVID hit, what, 22 months ago now, I put together for our church a spiritual gift course that we have yet to use because of COVID and all the adjustments and so forth. Um, but this is the passage that I would start with, talking about spiritual gifts. And as we look at it, yeah, the last part of it talks about spiritual gifts, but the most important part comes earlier in the text. So what I would like you to do today is break into groups of about six, okay? And we're going to spend about 10 minutes. What I want you to do, particularly in verses 1 through 3, I want you to be able to pull out principles that really talk about how do we live life with purpose, okay? Does that make sense? Okay? Sometimes I give complicated instructions. So break into groups of six. Look at the first three verses. I'm going to leave it up on the board. And I want you to talk in your group what are principles that this text gives us on how we can live life with purpose. Okay? This passage is very rich in light of that. So that's what I want you to do. So the next 10 minutes, break into groups. Six, eight. Now, go.
simple principles that you would find in each one in the first three verses that help you understand what does it mean to live with purpose. Okay? Make sense? Okay.
right. Let's uh, let's wrap up and uh, let's let's do some interaction here. But uh, what I'd like to do first is tell you a little bit about why another reason why I chose this particular passage uh, for this morning. Um, I came to Liberty long before most of you were born. Um, I came to Liberty back in 1980 um, at 17 years old. Um, I grew up in an Air Force family. My dad was career military. And so by the time I was 17 years old, I had lived in 18 different places. And so I had learned how to make friends, but I had also learned how to say goodbye to friends. Fortunately, my dad retired when I was in uh, the seventh grade. And you know, I was able to go to school for the last six years, junior high through high school, with pretty much the same group of kids. But when I entered into high school, I actually had a teacher question me of whether I was in the right school. And the reason for that was I was about four foot six as a freshman in high school. I mean, I was short. I was definitely the smallest kid in my class. In fact, senior um, superlatives, we used to vote on who would be the most successful, who was the most athletic, who was the most um, talkative, who was the funniest, class clown, those kinds of things. I got voted for the shortest. Okay? So I dealt with that my entire life, being short, shorter than most people. Okay? Here's how bad it was. I have a younger brother who's four years younger than I am. I was getting hand-me-ups from my brother, okay? But I took after my dad. My dad entered into boot camp uh, at 18 years old. He weighed 101 pounds, and he was five foot. When he got out of boot camp, he weighed 120 pounds, but he was five foot six. So he grew six inches in such a very short period of time. Senior year in high school, I'm 16 years old, so I'm younger than most of my classmates. I'm 16, I was four foot 11. I had grown five inches in three years. When I graduated, I was five foot six. So I grew that last year of my high school, and I was no longer the shortest. There were actually three people shorter than me. But the yearbook was already out, and I was in there as the, as the shortest. <laughs> so I have lived with that my entire life. Um, but the, I think the hardest, I've learned to accept that. That's just, I'm going to be short. I mean, I'm, that's, that's who my family is. And uh, you just learn to compensate and just eventually you're like, you know, God made me short for a reason. The hardest thing about growing up in a military family was we moved all the time. And so I never really got real community and really got geared in with a group of friends because as soon as we get comfortable with our new group of friends, my dad was transferred to a different location. So my junior high and senior high years were uh, very impactful for me, having the opportunity to be with the same group of kids. Um, but when I came to Liberty, I still felt very out of place, um, very insecure, very out of place. I came as a business major, but yet I came and I chose Liberty because I wanted to come to a school where I could get a business degree, but also take as much Bible as I could. Uh, the Lord saved me when I was 11 years old, as, um, when I was in seventh grade. A friend of mine sat, sat in front of me um, in the sixth grade and started uh, cracking these jokes, and I started laughing at them. And next thing I know, I'm telling jokes, and he's laughing at them. And so we became really good friends. 
Next thing I know, I was at his house early morning every day for a Bible study with him and his family. And as a result of that, my mom and dad came to know the Lord. And my brothers and I came to know the Lord. And so um, before then, I'd never stepped foot in a church. So literally, my parents and I are first-generation believers. And so I really had this heart. God really got a hold of my heart at such a young age and opened it up and gave me this desire to know who he was. And so even wanting to open up a business, um, God really gave me a heart for him. And coming to Liberty was a radical shift in the direction of my life. And on October 26, 1980, I surrendered to full-time ministry. Um, only two months, three months into my college freshman year, and I knew God was calling me into ministry. My older brother, who was probably my greatest critic, looked at me and goes, hey, you don't know what you want to do with your life. Of course, every time he did that growing up, it made me dig in deeper and say, I'm going to do exactly what you said I can't do. So, um, and so, I mean, there were several times in my life my brother looked at me and said, you can't do that. National Honor Society, my brother said, you can't do that. And he was probably right, because my grades were barely C's at that point. But by the time I graduated, I made National Honor Society. I told him I was going to try out for the soccer team. He goes, you're too small. I tried out for the soccer team, six games in the season. I, start, I, was, I was starting halfback. So anytime my brother told me not to do something, I couldn't do it. It just gave me incentive to do it, and just that driving force. And so I remember my brother looking at me going, uh, Jeff, you don't know what you want to do with your life. And I knew at that point, God wanted me in ministry. I didn't know where, how, or, or what. But, and God brought these verses into, into, into my life. I can remember sitting outside of what used to be dorm six. It's not one of those high-rise dorms up on campus. But I remember it as though it was yesterday, and reading these verses and just saying, Lord, I'm surrendering this to you. I'm placing myself literally on an altar, and I'm asking you, do with this life whatever you wish to do with it. I don't bring much to the table, but I give you what I have, and you move me to where you want me to be. And that has been a journey that's been over 40 years now. Um, I still feel like I have to work harder than most people to accomplish what I feel the Lord wants me to accomplish. Um, I grew up with two brothers, never opened a book, got straight A's. I'd have to spend hours studying. Um, but I'm thankful for that because I still love studying today and reading today. And so another neat thing, when I was in high school, uh, my senior year, I had a friend named Holly. She was an unbeliever, and she gave me this book. I have it in a Ziploc bag because it's no longer in its binding. But this book along with God's word, um, radically changed the direction of my life. This is a book entitled Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot. It's a story of Jim Elliot, who was killed on January 8, 1956, by the Alka Indians down in Ecuador. And reading his life story was the fuel that was thrown on the fire that God was stoking in my life through his word and through his Holy Spirit that, that really... Um, allowed me the courage to surrender to full-time ministry. Um, I would highly recommend you reading this. I've read it more times than I can count, and that's why it's in a Ziploc bag, because I don't want to get rid of it. I have a new copy of it, but every time I see this book, it reminds me of what God did. Um, through the life of a man who said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, 
the game that he cannot lose. And that has been a great motivation for me. Um, God doesn't always use the most talented, the most gifted. He uses those who are available. And if you want to live your life with purpose, this text that we have up on the screens will really help you live your life with purpose. And I can't promise you what next year will bring. I can't promise you what the next five years will bring. I can promise you God's blessing if you are in his word and you adopt these principles that the scriptures give us for your life. Um, I, am, I am blessed to be where I am today. You know how many guys have the opportunity of serving on one church staff their entire ministerial life? I've been here 27 years on staff. I've been in this church 37 years. My wife and I were married right here and this spot almost 34 years ago. Um, it's been amazing what God has done. But this verse, just presenting myself as a living sacrifice every day, has led God in my life. God has led me from one decision to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, I've had job offers to leave. No, thank you. This is where I'm to be. I know this is where God wants me. And so I would love to see God use you in whatever capacity that he has designed you and equipped you, regardless of how gifted you may think you are or how talented you may think you are. I'm, I am an introvert. Do you like large groups or small groups? I'd have been over on the side of over here. I like being by myself. I'm an introvert. Um, God gives you what you need to do what he's called you to do. And he gives you the enjoyment in doing it as well. So let's flesh out this text this morning. Living with purpose. So as you look at verse 1, up here, 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How many of you notice that I have blue dots next to some of you? Okay. These are the principles that I pulled out of this text. And I just earmarked them so I would remember this is where the principle is. But So what principles did you come up with out of verse 1? This is your time to talk. Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah, when you place yourself on the altar, think about Old Testament sacrifice. The lamb, without spot and blemish, gets put on this altar. He's giving his everything, right? So this applies to every aspect of life. Very good. So it permeates every area of our life. What else did you give? Or maybe you stated it in a different way. Yeah, Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians. So yeah, so presenting your bodies, keeping yourself pure, okay? How do we keep ourselves pure? By knowing God's word, by knowing what God expects, what God desires more so. Okay, good. What else? Other thoughts, ideas?
Okay, yeah, so it's not a dead sacrifice. It's still a living sacrifice. So we're offering everything that we are alive. Old Testament sacrifice. Okay, if you were Jewish and you brought a sacrifice to the temple to atone for your sins, who killed the lamb or the goat? Not the priest. You cut the throat of the lamb and give it to the priest. The priest would take the blood, sprinkle it on the altar. But it was a reminder for us of the great cost that Christ paid. We sent Christ, I sent Christ to the cross. And so it was a reminder that the atonement is you're, you're taking the life of this animal. New Testament, God wants us to place ourselves living on the altar. You're not placing something else, not placing an animal, you're placing yourself, your body, your mind, your emotions, your will, your future, you're laying that on the altar and saying, God, it's yours. You gave me life. I'm giving it back. I'm offering it up. So, good. Yeah, very well. Well, well done. What else? Okay, so taking self and selfishness into consideration, that's crossing the line, isn't it? It's not. You know, when we align ourselves with God, He gives us new desires, gives us a new heart, new mind. Yeah, but not being so selfish. It's easy for us to live for self. Our culture is telling us to live for self. God says, die to self. All right, looking at this, what do you think the word appeal means? I appeal to you. What do you think that means? If you have a different translation, this is the English Standard Version. What does it mean to appeal? Presenting an argument of why you should be heard. Okay, good. So, not pleading, but go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so Paul isn't here begging. He's not on his knees going, please get. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's urging with all of his energy. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're not begging, but you're, you're urging. Hey, do this. This is what is best for you. So you can almost hear Paul preaching this as he's writing it, saying, this is the way you should go. So that, that urging with all of his energy and effort that he's throwing into this, okay? When, don't forget who's writing this. This is Paul, who was, what was his previous name? Saul. And what was Saul before he became the apostle? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. There's a long list that he gives in the book of Philippians of who he was. He was also a persecutor of the church. Radical change in his life. And now he's standing here. The cost that he has paid for being a follower of Jesus. Beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead, hungry. By the way, he was stoned in Lystra 
They thought he was dead. They left him outside the city. He wakes up, brushes himself off, and goes back into the city. I mean, this is, this is the guy that's writing this. He knows the cost that he's asking of us. He's urging us, okay? So, by the mercies of God, what are we to do? To present, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I think the word bodies here really means our entire being is being offered. Okay, not just our church attendance, not our wallet, but everything about us, our emotions, our mind, our will, our bodies, our futures, our families, our hobbies. Okay, we're offering everything that we are on the altar. So a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does that mean? Worship is not what happens over there in the big auditorium at the beginning of the service. Worship is the totality of our life lived. That's worship. Okay? It's discipleship. It's following Jesus. What we get to do on Sunday morning under the leadership of Pastor Kevin is we get to come together corporately and celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. Spiritual worship is the way we live our life. What do I do when I'm in private? What do I do when I'm not around other believers? What do I do when I'm with believers? How am I feeding myself spiritually? All of that is spiritual worship. Listening to positive voices that are going to move us closer to who Jesus is. That's all wrapped up in this. So, give you a principle here. See if I can get this right. Verse 1. A life offered as available to God. I think that's what verse 1 is about. Offering your life as available to God. It's like open hands. I'm offering myself. What do you want to do with me? That doesn't mean he's going to call you to somewhere in Africa. It means, God, just use me the way you want to use me. And he will move your heart, your desires, to where he wants you to be. Let's look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Two key words in this text. Conformed and transformed. Do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? back here? Molded. Yes. Yeah, very good. Okay, stuck. Okay. Right hand? No? Okay. <laughs> we got it. Yeah. Um, it actually means don't be molded to a broken mold. Is an English way of putting that. Okay? The world offers you false hope, false security, false happiness. It's a broken mold that our world's trying to force you into. It's trying to mold you into something that doesn't work. 
okay? My uh, grandchildren came over Friday and uh, made, well, my wife made the cookies and they were coming over to decorate them. Our oldest grandchild will be four next month, so decorate. Um, the kitchen got decorated and a few cookies, but my wife made those cookies by rolling out the dough and taking the mold and stamping it into the dough and then taking it, sticking it on a pan and cooking it in the oven. But if that mold was broken, if it was a mold of an angel, so to speak, and it was broken, it would be the pattern of that broken angel or that broken snowman or broken Christmas tree or whatever the mold is. The world mold is broken. And Paul is saying, don't allow yourself to be molded into something that's broken. Okay, we live in a broken world, correct? We heard that before somewhere? We're a broken people, right? You heard that somewhere before? It's very familiar to me for some reason. We're broken people. But you need to get to the point where you admit, I'm a broken person. I'm a broken man. You're a broken individual. We live in a very broken world. If the last 22 months hasn't shown you that, we live in a very broken world with multiple voices that are screaming at us to conform to it. And quite frankly, I'm going to be honest with you, I've seen large groups of believers who are chasing a broken mold because it's the thing, it's the cultural thought pattern of the day that people are chasing after. Rather than being anchored in who we know God to be and who we know God wants us to be and anchoring ourselves in the scriptures. There's a little bit of truth in a lot of the movements that have happened over the last 22 months, but there's a lot of bad stuff in it as well. What does God tell us? Man, we are made in God's image. Therefore, every person has dignity, value, and worth. And God sent his son Jesus to redeem them. Talk about value and worth. Okay? Your identity cannot be based upon what you feel. Because your feelings are going to be different today than they are going to be tomorrow. What does God say about who you are? That's your identity. Ephesians 1, wrapping yourself up and speaking truth to yourself in that light. Don't be conformed to a broken, war, uh, a broken mold, which the world continues to throw at us. The more you know of God, the more you know of his word, the more you'll be able to identify that broken mold. Paul continues and says, but be transformed. Okay? Interesting word that is used here for transformed. You probably learned it in biology. It's the word metamorphosis. It means change from one thing to another thing. The example that's often used in biology class is the caterpillar that turns into the butterfly. This total transformation that takes place. Paul, who is speaking here, is a man who has been totally transformed. So don't be forced into a broken mold, but be what? Transformed. How are we transformed? What does the text tell us?
okay? Yeah. Renewing, and it says specifically here, great answer. It's not our feelings, it's what? Renewing your mind. Starts with your mind, not with your feelings. Starts with your mind. By the way, truth doesn't come from within. Truth comes from outside of us that speaks to who we are. God's truth, renewing the mind, speaks to the heart of the issue. Okay? You are who God says you are. It's major difference. Okay? What are the principles here? Life refused to be placed into a broken mold and life transformed by thinking much about God. Okay, I'm blown away over and over again by um, just how much I learn about God on a regular basis and how little I know about God. Let me, let me give you some resources that I highly recommend. How many of you are familiar with J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God? Okay, that is a book that you want to have, whether you have it digitally or in a paper form, you should have it. If the Lord tarries 100 years, that book will be a classic. It already is a classic. It will continue to be a classic. You need to, you need to wrestle with that. Great book, one of the first theology books that I read um, as a... Uh, 17, 18-year-old believer, follower of Jesus. Another book is Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. A smaller book also marked me deeply in my early Christian life. But the more you know about God, the more you'll be able to be transformed because it's renewing your mind because you'll understand what God's redemptive plan is, this great, greater picture. Highly recommend both those. All right, so you'll be renewing your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what is this talking about? What does the word testing mean? It's not an exam that you take. What, what do we mean we test? Yes. So it's this, we're, we're taking God's truth, right? We're putting it to test. The, the idea of this word is to put something to test to check the genuineness of it. Okay, it's the same word that is used um, in James chapter 1 when it talks about the trials that we go through. For the testing of our faith develops what? Perseverance, etc., etc. So God doesn't need to test us to know where our faith is because he already knows where it's at. But he tests us so that we will know where the genuineness of our faith is. What is mentioned here is if we put God's truth to the test, we put it into practice, then our minds will be renewed and we'll understand what God's will is. I think Josh did a great job talking about this last week. Um, he fleshed this out really, really well. So God's word helps us discern what is right, what is wrong. So the next cultural wave of social change that comes along, how do we judge it? How do we determine? We come back to God's word. What, is, what does God say? 
Don't get caught up in the ways of culture because these ways of thought have historical cycles. They never die out. God's word never does. God still changes lives today as he did 2,000 years ago. It's through his word that he works. So the testing, if we put it to test, then we'll be able to determine what God's will is. Okay? All right. Verse 3. For the will of God, oh, sorry, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and I'm going to mark these things here, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What's the emphasis of verse 3? It's underlined in blue, right? Think. When you see repeated things, it gives away the idea that God wants us to pay attention to that. Okay, what does it mean to think? My dad's favorite statement to me as a teenager, because I would just run and do something, he would look at me and say, Jeff, stop and think. Okay? How many times did I hear that growing up? More times than I could count. The fun thing about having my parents with us here in Lynchburg now, they're both in their 80s. I get to look at my dad and say, Dad, stop and think. <laughs> Full circle. That this, this all, what does it mean to think? Is it important that we think? Okay. What do you think, think means? A mental analysis of the situation. Okay. Other thoughts. That's good. What is it? To judge and discern. Okay, here's this idea of discern again that we have in the previous verse. Okay, it's the same word that's used here. The word for sober judgment just has a um, prefix to it. The, the one that says not to think has a prefix to it, but it's the same idea. To carefully evaluate something to determine its validity. Okay, so, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Okay, what's the idea here? Don't let pride get in the way. This kind of talks about arrogance and pride and self-centeredness and what is our culture telling us? The truth is determined by your feelings and your desires. And it's my truth. But what happens when my truth collides with your truth? One of us is lying. And more than likely, both of us are in that world system of thought. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But how are we to think? But we ought to, uh, but to think with sober judgment, each according with the measure of faith that God has assigned. So 
this sober judgment. Think wisely based upon what God says. The problem in the church in America today is it's self-centered. It's not God-centered. It's not other-centered. Okay? If you want to live a life of purpose, stop serving yourself. You're not, honestly, you're not that important apart from God. You're important because God thinks you're important. Rest in that, but you're not the center of God's universe. You're not the center of your family. Okay? We, we humbly live relationships out with one another. The principle that we have here, life surrendered to the purposes of God, and this one, a life marked carefully and what, with a thought-out perspective of self. If you want to be used of God, think much of God, think much of others, stop thinking about yourself. You have the other two in line, God will take care of this other piece. Okay? Does that make sense? See, it's, it's easy. We're broken, right? The most natural thing to do is to put myself first. I want the biggest piece of pie. I'm just thinking back to Thursday. Biggest piece of pie, the biggest piece of turkey. You know, I told everyone around our table, I said, the sweet potatoes are bad. You don't want any, because I wanted them all. <laughs> okay? Stop thinking about yourself. You know, I, I think, honestly, I am married to the most selfless person on the planet. It's amazing how selfless she is. She continues, my wife, to model this principle. All right, the last principle, if I can get it to do it here. Life lived in a community of unity and diversity. Look at verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them of prophecy in proportion to our faith, of service and our serving, the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts and is exhortation, the one who contributes and generosity, the one who leads with zeal, with the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So if you want to be used of God, let me just boil this down to three things. Surrender to God, number one. Number two, Live a life of humility among your brothers and sisters. And number three, understand that you're part of a community of diversity and unity. And the body of Christ thrives because of our diversity and because of our unity. Pastor Nathan tells our staff all the time, fight for unity. Fight for unity. Don't fight for self. Fight for God. Fight for unity of his church the purity of his church. Living a life of purpose, I think is wrapped up in this text. If you just memorize this, even the first four or five verses, man, what a great chapter. One of my goals this year, I know you guys have been going through Romans 8. One of my goals this year is to memorize Romans 8, afresh and anew, because it's such a powerful chapter. This follows it four chapters later of Paul. He 
There's the practical. Everything else you've learned in Romans, here it is. We've summed it up here, I think, in these first eight verses of what we're supposed to be as the church. So, I don't know God's purpose for you. I don't know God's direction for you. I do know that he has a purpose for you, and he has a direction for you. I can't determine that for you. You have to determine that as you spend time with God. Live your life with purpose. And if we could go back to these principles. Offer yourself available to God. Refuse to be placed into a broken mold. A life transformed by thinking much about God. Number four, a life surrendered to the purposes of God. Number five, it's a life marked by careful thought out perspective of self. And number six, a life lived in community of unity and diversity. Great opportunity. The church ought to be inclusive, not exclusive. We ought to be bringing people in, inviting them to come in. And uh, we live a life that reflects who Jesus is. We are created in God's image, Genesis 1. We're image bearers. This just piggybacks right along with it of what we're supposed to be. So, I hope these verses are meaningful to you. These verses have been a part of my life for the last 40 plus years. And will continue if God gives me 40 more years. Probably won't give me 40 more years, but maybe a little old. But I'd be almost as old as Matt over there. But Anyhow. All right. Thank you for your participation. Let me uh, ask God's blessing upon you. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your investment into us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who took initiative, that you wanted to share yourself, for you created us in your image. You created humanity unlike any other part of your creation, that we would reflect your glory and your greatness, that we would represent you in this world. Lord, even after the fall in Genesis in Genesis 9-6, you still describe us as being created in your image. Although our image, as we reflect you, is marred because of sin, Lord, you sent Jesus to rescue and ransom and redeem us. And Lord, you desire us to be your image bearers. And Lord, I, I pray for each and every person in here this morning. Lord, you have a purpose, a design, a direction for them. Lord, I pray that you would give them the desire, the initiative. I, as Paul, Lord, I urge them and I ask of you, Father, to move them to where they're pursuing your purpose and your will for their life. Thank you, Lord, for Romans 12, from the heart of the Apostle Paul, inspired truth that your, that your Holy Spirit has given us. I pray that we would live this out, Father, that we would be image bearers of Jesus here in our world, in this broken world that seems to be more and more every day, more shattered. Lord, I pray that you would use us, grow us. Lord, may we reflect your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for your attention. Same time, same place next week.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.